Let us pray. Mighty God, the shepherds of old were full of your praises, saying that all they had heard and seen was mirrored by what they had been told. Move among us now with your Holy Spirit, that we too might hear and experience the wonder and joy of the living word as we seek to welcome the written word into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first reading today is from Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. You great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. And our second reading is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you almost you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. The Grinch hated Christmas. 
the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. This is unarguably a classic. The book is a classic, the movie is a classic, the original, not the Jim Carrey version. The new one has the potential to become a classic one day, but only time will tell. Whenever a story sticks like this to our cultural memory, it's a good indication that it is probably onto something. I've read thousands of pages of deep and confusing theological works, and Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas is perhaps one of the best pieces of theology I've ever read. It covers love, forgiveness, redemption, community, and so much more. The Grinch inexplicably hates Christmas. Nobody seems to know exactly why. In some of the movie adaptations, they make uh, speculations as to why. He hates the singing, the decorations, the feasts, the presents, all of it. This hatred of Christmas and everything that comes with it has isolated the Grinch. He lives like a hermit in a cave on the top of a mountain over the town of Whoville. This hatred he has for Christmas has turned him into a dark and lonely character who acts nasty to all the people around him. And the key is in this very beginning passage, right at the start of the story. His heart was two sizes too small. What is on the inside, in the Grinch's tiny, cold heart, spills out to his actions and the way he interacts with the world. It is simply impossible to act nice all the time on the outside when your heart is not at peace on the inside. We sometimes talk about acting like Jesus. What would Jesus do? But it's often just words we say about how we should An abstract idea that we like, but we have to spend a great deal of time and effort to perfect it. And while it's not the good things we do that earn our way into heaven, our actions do matter. They affect the people around us, and they're sort of like the clothes that we wear. They're part of how people develop impressions of us and choose to interact with us. And we are told in scripture to be clothed. In compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. These are the clothes that the followers of Jesus are meant to wear. But they are not always what we put on before we step out the door. Often we just throw on whatever dirty old attitude is just sitting on the floor by the front door before going out. One day a while back, I ran out to Target. It was one of those really quick Runs. I wasn't feeling well, I was in a hurry, and I just had to pick up some pictures I printed at that first counter right inside the door. So I did something that I almost never do. I ran out the door in sweatpants, a ratty cardigan, old running shoes, ponytail, hat on my head, the works. I was a hot mess. And I figured I was just running into that first desk at Target. No big deal, not that many people would see me. So, of course, you all know how this ends. 
I ran into not just anyone, but someone I hadn't seen in a couple of years, probably. One of my former youth group kids, who was all grown up, married, kids of her own, someone who had looked up to me for over a decade, and there I was, looking like death warmed over. It was mortifying. Now, the funny thing about it is the woman I ran into did not care that I looked like a mess. She was just happy to see me, and I was happy to see her too, even though I was embarrassed to be seen. What mattered was that our joy at seeing one another overcame the fact that I looked like garbage. What's crazy is that we tend to be really sensitive to what we put on our bodies before leaving the house to go somewhere, but we'll toss on whatever attitude happens to be available. But our actions matter more than our clothes, I should hope. And the hug was more important than the sweatpants. Our actions aren't as important as what's on the inside. The hug mattered because of the joy and the love I felt when I saw an old friend. We should strive to act in ways that are compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and patient. We should avoid wearing actions that are selfish, fear-filled, angry, and rushed. Right in the middle of this passage in Colossians, we see the acknowledgement that our actions will not be perfect. Oh, dear Presbyterians, we are none of us perfect. There will be grievances. There will be calls to forgive one another and to move past wrongs at some point. Nobody walks out the door looking perfect all the time. But in all of that, we are given a path to begin fixing all of the yuck in our hearts that spills out to the outside. And thank goodness that path is not just try harder to be nicer. Yes, acting nicer on the outside can help to change our hearts and minds a bit, mostly because it puts us into situations we might otherwise avoid and helps us to see things differently. But it's the change within that really matters. We're told to let the message of Christ dwell in us, not just near us or on us like a coat that we can take off or put on. And we are given other people in our lives who can call us out when we're wearing shabby attitudes and behaviors. There is a uh, terribly indulgent and totally superficial television show that I used to watch all of the time. It is no longer on TV, um, but now we're in a safe place, I feel, so I can uh, tell you that I used to love watching What Not to Wear. (laughs) Some of you have seen it too. There are two fashion gurus who sneak up and surprise some poor, unsuspecting soul who's been turned in by their friends and family uh, for having no fashion sense at all. (laughs) Then they are taken on a $5,000 shopping spree on which these fashion gurus consult so that the person knows what to wear given their profession, their body type, and all of those considerations. They get them a makeover, they do their hair, makeup, everything. It's so snarky and rude, and it's a ton of fun to watch. (laughs) But a major point is that in this show, the person with the terrible clothing to begin with is nominated by a friend or a family member. Their community says to them, hey, you got to do something about your clothes, buddy, because you look like a slob. Now, the other interesting thing about this show is that when the clothes the person is wearing are changed, 
and they see how fashionable they are capable of being, their attitude about themselves changes. People who always thought they were dumpy are suddenly strutting around saying, I feel beautiful, or I never thought I could look this good, so I never bothered. Attitudes are like that. When we change the way we interact on the outside, it can change the way we think about ourselves and the world around us, and it can cause a change of heart. But we need the help of our community sometimes to say, hey man, you're wearing a really crummy attitude today. We need to do something about this, sister. (laughs) And we especially need the guidance of the Holy Spirit to show us how to dress our attitudes and help us to learn how to keep the message of Christ in our hearts. Now, this is the time of year when we're beginning to think of starting new disciplines, cleaning up our act, doing all the things right for 2019, making those New Year's resolutions, setting up new regimes, making a little more effort in our diets, our organizational skills, housekeeping, getting to weekly fitness class at the church, etc. What about how we're dressing on our way out the door in regards to our attitudes and Christ-like behavior? Are we letting the Holy Spirit dress us before we leave the house looking like a spiritual hot mess? The Grinch wearing a terrible attitude because his tiny heart didn't see reason to wear anything nicer stole all the presents and the feast and the decorations set out for Christmas in Whoville. He did everything he could to stop it from coming in much the same way that people, the church included sometimes, dear friends, try to stop God's mission from happening. But Christmas came anyway. Herod tried to have the baby King Jesus killed, but Christ came anyway. You see, in the book, The Grinch, a change starts to happen when the Grinch finds himself in a new place. A place where Christmas means more than the presents and the decorations and the food. We find ourselves changing when we are in new places, when we put on new attitudes and values as we are called to do in today's uh, passage from Colossians. We discover that we feel differently on the inside when we allow the Holy Spirit to work on our outside attitudes and when we cooperate with that work. And something changes in our hearts that makes it easier to pick up and put on that new attitude. It's just how we dress ourselves before we step out the door. And then? And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And the minute his heart didn't feel quite so tight, he whizzed with his load through the bright morning light and he brought back the toys and the food for the feast. And he, he himself, the Grinch, carved the roast beast. 